brand new thinker ready Call down to Crazy Eddie The man who's got most everything A stereo sound His audio selection Will be with your perfection He's the man with all the lowest prices around So come on down and put it to the test See whose prices really are the best Who picks you up with a sound of picture plays And guarantee a smile upon your face when you think you're ready, down to Crazy Eddie, the man who's got most everything, a stereo sound. And so the story's told across the whole wide world, Crazy Eddie will not ever be undersold. I watched the thing the other day on Crazy Eddie. Do you remember Crazy Eddie? Yeah, when Crazy he was... Eddie. His prices are insane. Did you know what Crazy Eddie did? Well, tell everybody who Crazy Eddie was. Crazy Eddie was a guy that had stores in all five boroughs of New York. Wholesale outlets. TVs. Stereos, TVs, and everything like that. I saw. I was watching MSNBC, uh, Greed. They have a series called there Greed. There <laughs> Give us, let me hear this, motherfucker. TVs, VCR, stereo systems, telephones, telephone answering machines, anything and everything in home entertainment. And watching home appliances, too. Remember, we are not undersold. We will not be undersold. We cannot be undersold. And we mean it. Santa knows that the best deals in town are at Crazy Eddie's during Crazy Eddie's Christmas blowout blitz. See Crazy Eddie now. His prices are insane. <laughs> He's wearing a Santa Claus outfit. He's going fucking crazy with fake snow in the background. He... Fucking, like just this, like he like hit it out of the park. Didn't he go to Israel? Did he, he went to flee? Israel to hide to yeah. flee. But the most brilliant thing he did was he took it either. Don't don't fucking you know ch check fact me on this. He took it either his nephew, his son-in-law, somebody that he was related to through blood, put him through college, so he could get a job at the IRS, so they could figure out how to rob from the IRS. <laughs> this is how fucking insane this guy was. I'm watching this diet and how they got Crazy oh my Eddie. God. Right, Crazy Eddie fled after he started just buying boxes. You know how you, remember years ago you would be driving in, in New York and there was some guy selling stereo speakers Yeah. and then you'd take them home and it was two bricks? Yep. Well, he did the same thing to investors. He took boxes, filled them up with bricks, and just stocked them in a warehouse, and then he went public. So he got everybody to come down and look at all his inventory and all these fact checkers. They're checking boxes with bricks in them. Whoa. And he had, I mean, five fucking warehouses all around. They were all fake, and he got all this money. He fled to Israel, and he fled for a while, but they knew he was a pussy hound. <laughs> right? So they got him like Escobar style. They got him like, you know, on the phone, like I'm going to the store, something crazy. And what they did was they put a blonde on the side of the road with, with a miniskirt. And they knew eventually he would drive by and stop. No. And he stopped. <laughs> That's how they nailed him. Around 1980, the Antars decided to take Crazy Eddie public. They reasoned that with Crazy Eddie as a public company, they could unload their stock at inflated prices on unsuspecting victims. Now, this would be more profitable than, say, skimming cash sales, tax evasion, and paying employees off the books. They anticipated getting a bigger bang for their buck by inflating earnings as a public company. Now, in today's episode, Sam goes into a little more detail about how the Antars were essentially committing securities fraud by going legit. He talks about the gradual reduction of skimming, how the company went public at $8 a share, 
and the inflated price that it surges to. And he also explains how the SEC was initially suspicious of Crazy Eddie, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, I was in college. I, the family sent me to college to major in accounting. Mm-hmm. They wanted a family member on the inside, you know, running the books and records because they saw big things for Crazy Eddie's. And they wanted somebody with the skills to, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to help take the company to the next level. Mm-hmm. And around 1979, as I'm getting close to graduating from college, Eddie and his family wanted to take the company public. Now, 1979, we didn't know if we were going to take it public in 1980, 81, 82, 83, or 84, because there's, there's a bunch of factors that go into it. We eventually went public in 1984, but in preparation for going public, we, we, we had to clean up our act. In other words, we had to. We were committing securities fraud by going legit. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, if you're skimming money, you're underreporting your profits. And public companies are valued at a multiple of how much profits they report. So if you're skimming money, that runs contrary to what you want to accomplish as a public company, which is to be able to sell your stock at a, at a higher price based upon the fact that you're making, you're making money. So one of the things we did was we gradually reduced our skimming. It's called net skimming. Gross skimming minus uh, cash expenses equals net skimming. Mm. Our net income from skimming from around $3 million to zero from 1979 to 1984. And the gradual reduction of skimming meant that we were reporting more and more income each year, not because we were necessarily making more money, just that we were stealing less money from the IRS. <laughs> that gave us a huge growth curve. That made, showed that Crazy Age was growing faster than it actually was. So by the time 1984 comes along and we're skimming zero, Crazy Eddie just showed a tripling of its profits in the last five years before it went public, where in reality, our profits were only growing by about 5% a year or 25% over the last five years because um, our gradual reduction in skimming uh, inflated our profitability over the uh, the growth of our profitability over the five years before going public. So Crazy Eddie's goes public at about eight dollars a share, based upon, based mostly on the fact that we were experiencing huge growth from our profits, but really we weren't. It was only accomplished by the gradual reduction in skimming. So 1984, we skimmed zero, and that was the only year that Crazy Eddie's financial statements were legitimate. Wow! So <laughs> every year prior to that. We're underreporting our income. Wow! Look at that! Wow. Um, so, um, okay. And then at that point, uh, okay. So you guys went public, and then how soon after you went public did things start going south? Like, oh, well, not south. Uh, we continued the fraud because now we're a public company. We don't want right. to understate our income. Right. Now we want to overstate our income. Mm, okay. Because if, if our company is trading, say, at a multiple of 30 times income, every dollar we inflate our income, we, we, we create $30 in fictional wealth. Wow. So if we inflate our income by, say, $10 million, we create $300 million in fictional wealth. And who owns most of the company and derives most of the wealth? The Anton family. Wow. So we take steps to inflate our income from 1984 to 1987 as a public company. In fact, what we do is 
one of the most famous frauds that we did, or infamous frauds, okay. was known as the Panama Pump, which was back with actually the plot for the movie The Accountant with Ben Affleck. Really? Wow. It and gives credit to Crazy Eddie with, with, the, with the scheme about an hour into the movie The Accountant. I didn't know that. Well, wow. We've been skimming all, yeah, we've been skimming all of this money from 1979 to 1984 before going public, and most of it ends up in Israeli banks and secret bank accounts. Now we're a public company, so what do we do? We take some of the money that we skimmed. Let's say we take a million dollars that we skimmed uh, prior to going public. So let's mm-hmm. do some math. If, I, if, if, if we have a 40% tax rate and I skim a million dollars, I'm actually evading 400000 in taxes. I'm underreporting my income by a million dollars. I'm saving 400000 in taxes. Now, if I launder that money back into Crazy Eddie's, I have an inflated pre-tax income of a million dollars. I'm overpaying my taxes by four hundred thousand dollars because I'm showing I'm creating fictional income, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I have an inflated net income of six hundred thousand dollars. But because my stock is trading at thirty times earnings, I'm creating eighteen million dollars in fictional wealth by overpaying my taxes by four hundred thousand dollars. So we. Uh, so we actually start taking the money that we previously skimmed, and we start putting it back into the company to inflate our income to sell stock at inflated price. That was known as the Panama pump. Wow. You get a bigger bang for the buck, overstating your income as a public company, even if it means overpaying your taxes, and you get by understating your income as a private company and evading your taxes. And that's exactly what we did. That was known as the Panama Pump. So from 1984 <laughs> to 1987, we started to inflate our income in order to cash out stock at, at, at inflated prices. Wow. Look at that. Wow. And so... So the evolved. Right. Okay. Okay. And so um, now I... I I might be uh, jumping the gun uh, here, but um, so <clears throat> so in 1987, um, from what I uh, gathered uh, researching online, uh, that's around the time the U.S. Uh, attorneys for uh, attorneys office for the District of New Jersey, as well as the SEC, um, started uh, yeah. uh, their investigations. Okay, okay. Correct. Well, let me explain to you what happened. Uh-huh. We were profitable from 1984 to 1986 as a public company, mm-hmm. where we just overstated our income. We were profitable as a private company from the early 1970s to 1984 before we went public, where we understated our income. So as a private company, we were profitable and understated our income. In the first two years as a public company, we were still profitable, but overstated our income. But by 1987, we started losing momentum. I'll explain why. Remember, when we went public in 1984, before we went public, we were skimming, even though we were skimming less and less money each year. But that skimming gave us the competitive edge. Now we're a public company, and we can't use the skimming to give us a competitive edge. Right. And as a result, we can't give the customers as good value as we used to be able to give, because the government was subsidizing how it discounts the customers through our income taxes. They gave. Wow. Okay, so that had an effect of causing a slowdown in sales. Also, consumer electronics was becoming very heavily commoditized. Hmm. In other words, that Sony TV that sold for $500 in 1986 now sells for $400 in 1987. Mm -hmm. So I got to sell 25% more units to have the same sales volume in terms of balance. Hmm. 
and so as a result of those two factors and, you know, the economy and all the competition, yeah. Crazy Eddie's in 1987 starts losing money as opposed to making money. Okay. And it, it, it's a lot different when you're losing money and understating your losses than making money and overstating your income. Gotcha. Because yeah. you, 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 now you're losing money, the street starts to lose faith in your long-term profitability. So Crazy Eddie's Stock that went from eight dollars a share all the way up to eight eighty dollars a share finds itself at about six or five dollars a share. Wow! Around there, stock pumping. <laughs> so we're worried that somebody's going to come in there and take over our fraud and uncover it. Right. So what do we do? We bid seven dollars a share for our fraudulent company, knowing full well it was a fraud worth zero. But we weren't going to use our money. We were going to use the crooks on Wall Street's money. In other words, we were going to steal from the crooks on Wall Street. <laughs> they were going to finance to take over crazy idiot $7 a share. Right, right. What we didn't anticipate was that some crazy nut, a, a big, in other words, <laughs> a long investor, would actually bid $8 a share more, a dollar more, than we would for our own fraud. In other words, they thought crazy Eddie was the golden goose. Wow. We knew that it was a fraud. So what happened was is the initial investigation of Crazy Eddie had nothing to do with our security fraud that I previously described, the skimming and then the inflation of income. The SEC initially thought we were trying to steal the company from under the shareholders. In other words, we deliberately tanked the company to buy it on the cheap. Wow. So they were, the SEC came in there investigating the wrong fraud. Ultimately, this shareholder group was known as the Oppenheimer Palmieri Group. Victor Palmieri was one of, was one of the big activist investors in his day. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, uh, okay, he, he partnered with another public company called Entertainment Marketing, which was a distributor led by Elias. <laughs> they ultimately take over Crazy Eddie's and win control in a proxy battle. So we lose control of the company. And of course, what happens, three weeks later, they take inventory and they said, oh, shit. Crazy Eddie's a bunch of empty boxes. In other words, all that money that they thought we were making, even if we lost money for one year, you know, all that golden goose, you know, you know, whatever, all that uh, stuff about us stealing the company from our shareholders and deliberately tanking it went out the window. And they said, "Wow, this is a massive fraud." Wow. Now the Fed started investigating the right fraud. Wow! Look at wow. We went down. So our fraud was not caught by the federal government. Our fraud was not caught by a whistleblower. Our fraud was certainly not caught by our auditors. Our fraud was certainly not caught by short sellers who bet against the fact. Mm-hmm. Our fraud, we were a victim of our own success. Wow. We committed two good... In other words, we were... We, were, we, we had somebody that so much believed in our bullshit that they brought our company out from under us. That's how good you guys were. That speaks... That that's just, how good you guys were. That's, ama- like, that's amazing. That's amazing. And so, you know, I I have to imagine now, you know, with uh, something like this, you know, people, you know, once uh, uh, law enforcement uh, gets involved, uh, you're looking at uh, prison time. Did you, were you facing any prison time? Did you do any? Oh, yeah. Well, the company gets taken over November 6th, 1987. Okay. And of course, they take inventory the end of November. And all of a sudden, now the feds are on the right they're investigating the right for Right, right. So 1987 till 1989, I'm fighting the Fed. All they, are, all they are investigating is 
is the inflation of income after we became a public company. They weren't investigating because they didn't know about the Panama pump laundering money back into the company. They certainly didn't know about the skimming before we went public. Mm-hmm. Well, the family, uh, there were rifts within the Antoc family, and there were two factions. There was the pro eddy faction and the anti-Eddie faction. And both <laughs> factions who hated and who, who, who were trying to blame the crime, the fraud on me. And in March 8, 1989, which is almost about a year and a half, a year and then, uh, after Craig Gaze got taken over, and and a year and a half of lying to the Fed that there was no fraud, I, uh, I decided to uh, go and cooperate with the Fed. And I told them that the fraud was much wider than you people uh, envisioned. And um, that's when and, and, and Eddie eventually uh, skipped town. And um, uh, that's how I started started cooperating with the feds and the crazy any gotcha 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 um all right and then so that uh that pretty much leads to my uh my next question you know so so once eddie was uh charged um i understand that uh you know so he fled israel um yeah, he fled, no, he fled, that was one of the places he actually had about a dozen passports he had a brazilian passport he had an Israeli passport, a Liberian passport. Wow. He had passports under many different names, but Eddie was very superstitious. The one mistake that he made was all of his passports had his real birthday on it. The other <laughs> so mistake that's... that Eddie made, and you have to be Jewish to understand this. Uh-huh. Um, well, you can you can you can be a Cohen or a Levy, but you can't be both. <laughs> and on his Brazilian passport, his passport, his name was David Jacob Levy Cohen. And one of the investigators that was trying to track it, who was Jewish, said, hey, you can't be, that's not, there's something fishy here. Really? And that ultimately led them to uh, Eddie. That's fascinating. I didn't that's know that. that. That's the real story. Look at that. Well, if you like today's show, please like and subscribe to us on iTunes. Oh, oh when you think you're ready, call down to Crazy Whoa. Eddie, the man who's got most everything. Whoa. Stereo sound, his audio selection Whoa. will be with your perfection. Whoa. He's the man with all the lowest prices around. So come on down and put him to the test. See whose prices really are the best. When you think you're ready, down to Crazy Eddie, the man who's got most everything in stereo sound. And so the story sold across the whole wide world. Crazy Eddie will not ever be undersold.